In this episode, we're chatting with Mimsy Sadowski from the Democratic Sudbury Valley School in Massachusetts about what a self-directed learning school looks like, what children do after attending such a school, how they learn to read in a democratic school, and of course, how the school is run by its children. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Today we're chatting with Mimsy Sadowski, who has been with Sudbury Valley School for over 50 years, which in a school that votes their staff in and out is no mean feat. But before we start, we'd love to invite you to subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us stay in the charts, which in turn means more people find us, which in turn means more people learn about all the things such as alternative education, forest schooling and parenting, which in turn, of course, is our whole mission, which is to help children. Or you could send this episode to a friend you think would love to hear it, or even just post this on your socials. Every little act that you do means these episodes reach more ears, which just continues to make this even more worthwhile for us to continue. And we really want to thank you for doing that. Welcome to the show, Mimsy. How are you today? I'm fine and sorry to get you out of bed so early in the morning. I hope that you're fine too. <laughs> that was my choice and I did get a glimpse of the sunset. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, it, wasn't, well. it wasn't exactly your choice. I mean, it's a really big time difference and there were I don't think there are good times, are there? No. I mean, it was 11 o'clock at night or 6 in the morning, so I took the yeah. sun, sunset, uh, sunrise I took. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for accommodating me from the other side of the world too. It's not easy. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for the persistence. Now, Mimsy, to get started, our audience here, in particular from Australia, would be quite interested in hearing all about perhaps a little bit about the history of Sudbury Valley and Sudbury Schools and also just exactly what Sudbury Valley School is, the type of philosophies that you run on. Yeah, let's just start with that because that in itself can will be quite detailed, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Sudbury Valley was um, set up to be, I guess, a, uh, a no-harm school, mm. set up to be a school that allowed children the maximum freedom because we felt that children were no less deserving of freedom than adults. And uh, so we, we have tried every way for every year, which has now been 53 years, I guess, to uh, have this be a place where children have total freedom. And they do. That people always say, okay, so how are their classes? Well, they have very, very, very few classes, <laughs> if any, if any. Most kids don't have any. Right. And um, they're just doing what they want to do all the time. And this has grown tremendously over the years of the school. I mean, at first, it took a while to get established, you know, to really establish the idea that we were going to trust the children and that they had to trust themselves. And we still have a lot of uh, a lot of parents who don't want to trust their children or can't trust their children or can't feel that they can't. I don't mean that the children are criminals. Um, 
which heaven knows. But uh, <laughs> and I think that's almost every parent in the world anyway. Mm. So uh, we do trust children. But they have we have set up a school that was set up with children, not just alone with adults, and it's set up dem- democratically. Its governance is democratic, but that is sort of like a, um, I don't even know how to say it. It's sort of like a big ice cream cone (laughs) Mm -hmm. because the fact that kids have to govern themselves and govern the school and have to take care of discipline themselves gives them an easy entree into understanding how much freedom they have because they have a lot of, a lot of responsibility. So it's a little joint effort, freedom and responsibility. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you end up with children who, students who um, respect each other, respect the adults even, and uh, are go into life feeling that they have a lot of freedom and a lot of possibilities, which they usually do. I mean, you know, not everybody has a perfect life, but most of us do, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's... um... Yeah. It's such a beautiful to, – to be able to leave as a teenager, you know, the picture that we get often of teenagers in mainstream school, you know, they're rebellious, they're naughty, they're lazy, they're, you know, all these awful labels that as an ex-high school teacher I, I still didn't believe, but now that I see our teenagers out in our unschooling community, I – 1000% revolt against. Can you tell me a little bit about how your teenagers at Sudbury Valley, um, what kind of thing, because this is a question I've, I've already been asked a hundred times, what kind of things do they do at school and then what do they do when they leave school? What they do in the, when they leave school is almost anything. They might have an apprenticeship or an internship of some kind. They might say, oh, I need to rest. I need a year off because I worked so hard. And you're thinking, what? You didn't do anything you didn't want to do. You were little. <laughs> but, you know, they might travel. <laughs> you might pursue some interest that they know is not going to be a life interest, but might be an interest that they might not think they're going to get to pursue. Like one of my kids um, went to went to Israel and learned Hebrew mm. and uh, for a year after she left Sudbury Valley. And then she went to college and another one went to a ski resort town, got an apartment and a job and skied every day. He's a job at a restaurant. So, you know, he could do it in the evenings. So they do all kinds of things. And a lot of them just go to college, but um, not as many as you would think go to college the first year. They, they want to um, try out some things first. Yeah. And, They'll try out interests that they have, or they'll just try to find some job, which is what they do when they're in school, too. They're always looking to make their weaknesses better. Mm-hmm. And you don't hear them talk about it. You don't know how they know they have weaknesses, <laughs> but they do. I mean, we all do. Yeah. So they're working to to conquer their problems. And so when they leave here, they usually find something that will that will even increase their self-confidence over what they've had to do here. So it's a very beautiful thing to watch. Young people sort of slowly mature into who they want to be. And then often that takes going to college and often it doesn't. Mm, I I think what really stands out to me there is 
like as you just said, slowly mature and, and there's no, the pressure to go to college seems to be taken off. It's there yeah. if it's available, but that pressure is taken off. Would, would that be a correct assumption or am I way off? Well, we can't take, we've taken it off. Mm. Sometimes the parents haven't, yeah. sometimes the kids haven't, but we've taken it off and they know that we don't care, that we don't, we're not going to value them more or less with a PhD or, you know, any other degree. Yeah, that's beautiful. And they know that, and they know that their friends aren't going to value them more or less. And their friends, you know, 50 years later with people who have taken very different courses in their life, but still remember the joys of freedom, I think, is what keeps them all together. They have a way of looking at life that isn't like anyone else's. And it's so hard to explain, but they, they sort of examine things without a frame around them, I guess you know, out of, what do they call it? Out of the box. They they examine everything anew when they meet it. And um, that has a very pleasant aspect to it. (laughs) When you start talking to them, they're going to be able to talk about anything in sort of a searching way. Well, you haven't dulled the curiosity. (laughs) Oh, we try our best. (laughs) I mean, you're an adult. That's your job, isn't it? Try our best. Yes, we want to dull their ability to have fun. We want to dull their ability to move around. We Mm. want to sit them in a class. No, we we have. That's true. And uh, just being able to wander around, of course, on the campus and in the school is a marvelous thing. And a lot of people realize that immediately when they come here and they're sort of overwhelmed by the beauty of it. To me, it seems so obvious. Of course, you move around. Yeah. But uh, to a new child who's gone to another school, it's, there's nothing obvious about it. They're always waiting for the bad things. Now, how long have you been there, Mimsy? Oh, from, from the beginning, 53 years. Oh, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Gosh, my research has been terrible. <laughs> well, uh, why would you know that? Yeah. Why well, would you care? I mean, why would you why would you have cared, I should say? Oh, well, I think that's incredible. After 50 years, what are the some of the things that still stop you and pause and go, oh, we're doing a good thing? Or do they? Do you? Um, <laughs> just kind of the butte. No, I do. I do. The kinds of things that stop me are the absolute beauty of the school, mm. uh, of the way the kids act toward each other in the school. It's not that they're not perfect. Mm. But they are so basically considerate and knowing about each other, about their friends, about older kids, younger kids, and the grown-ups. And one of the things that stops me frequently is the sheer kindness of uh, children towards me. Mm. Just kindness, you know. We want you to be happy, basically, is what they're saying to you. Not just we want to be happy. Oh. And that's, that's amazing. It's overwhelming. I, I, you asked for a picture of the school. Yes, I very briefly saw it before I, I called you. Oh, you actually saw it? Oh. I, sent, I sent one that where you see it over uh, from, from across the pond or from the side of the pond. The and it's very beautiful. Oh. And you can hardly see the building, but it's, it seemed perfect to me. How did you find the space? Uh, I didn't. I wasn't part of the group when they did, but it took a year or so. Mm. because uh, and it was a white elephant for a very good reason, actually. The, um, <laughs> there was a big, big piece of land, and they sold us 10 acres of it, roughly. And uh, that 10 acres included a bridge and a dam 
and the dam was in bad repair. And it turns out that the owner of the land is responsible for always keeping the dam in good repair, or so we thought. <laughs> and uh, so the first thing that happened was the dam had to be repaired, and there was no money. And oh. a friend of the a friend of some of the founders just did it. Wow, uh, he was a builder. <laughs> It's kind of amazing, but uh, we've had extensive dam repairs since then. And I think <laughs> we'll maybe always, I don't know, maybe we'll learn anymore. Can we, um, it's just in the forefront of my mind still, because we haven't yet spoken about it. We, You touched on the democratic process or the democratic running of the school with, with how children are involved. Can you talk to us about that? Because that will be almost shocking to some parents listening, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, I, even if they say, oh, democracy, isn't that wonderful? They're thinking of their children voting. Mm. And here we vote for we vote for staff. That's how staff is elected. Everybody votes, everybody who wants to. That in itself is just incredible, the, the, the freedom to be able to choose people that absolutely respect the child or the, pers- the person is so powerful. I guess that's what they're looking for. Mm. It's funny because uh, you just told me something. Uh, yes, the freedom to be able to do that is mind blowing. Mm. And, uh, children know that and they know that that's not what you get in other places. But I always thought, you know, I I look at myself and I say, you've been elected all these years. Why? What is it that the kids think that you have that the school wants? And I always thought, oh, I'm devoted to the school and they know it or, I do a lot of uh, administrative work and they sort of know it. Mm. But I, al- I also thought that kids vote for people that they think are intelligent. Mm-hmm. But now you made it clear that there's another reason. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that they do it for another reason. Mm. So that's good. They are inc- children know people and instinctually. I, I believe. Is they it, sure you know, do. Yeah, they can meet someone they and know. They sure do. You're on my side or you're not. <laughs> yeah. One of the, the, most, uh, the most important part of the structure for kids is the judicial system because they realize right away that they have – somebody may make a complaint about them if they do something wrong. That's what we call it, a written complaint, and that's what the judicial system has to deal with. And uh, if they, they, the judicial meeting, which happens every day uh, and is composed of kids of different ages and two clerks who are the administrators Mm -hmm. and a staff member, a different staff member every day. So you've got six to one. (laughs) So it's definitely not the staff that Mm. is making things happen. And uh, the judicial meeting is responsible for finding out what happened. Like I may think that I saw somebody running madly in the hall and screaming, but maybe I had the wrong somebody mm. and I might make a complaint and I might be wrong. And they find out, they find out what happened and they write a report and they probably find the right person if I didn't. <laughs> and then that person is, uh, can be accused of having broken a rule. And after that, they can be, they, they plead guilty or not guilty, not guilty. They are tried mm. and then they're sentenced. So, uh, by the committee. So it's very, it's careful. It's not fast. It's not terribly slow, but it's definitely people that your peer, that are your peers looking at what you have done and talking to you about it and not getting all uptight about it either. Cause they've all done it too. 
<laughs> so um, the fact that it's your peers is really, really important for kids. And they really realize that they can then, if in that, that situation, they can uh, take care of everything because they're powerful. Mm. So either they're the complainant or they have a complaint against them or they can say, I'm not guilty or <laughs> any one of a number of things can happen, but they're powerful. Yeah. They're powerful and they're, they're, they'll be on the other side someday, whatever side it is. That must breed such wonderful empathy and compassion, just that system alone and, and like you said, the system run by peers. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And people don't like me to talk about it. Uh, people who are worried about the school being too harsh <laughs> with its discipline, which is pretty funny <laughs> if you've ever seen what we are. But we do take it seriously. We take little things seriously. But people who are worried about that think that, that it's crime and punishment. And crime and punishment is bad. And please don't talk about it because we don't want to scare people. But it shouldn't scare people. No. It should thrill people. Yeah. I can't imagine, and again, I'm making assumptions here, so please correct correct me as I go. I'm assuming, which I should never, I know I should never do, but I, I trust tr our teenagers and children, so not ours, them. <laughs> here we go, my language as well. Um, I can't imagine them being overly punitive. No, they're not. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> Sometimes you think, no, this is a much worse yeah. crime than that. <laughs> They should be out of the upstairs for the rest of their lives or something. <laughs> the committee votes out of the upstairs for the rest of the day. Oh, they're so forgiving. <laughs> the next two days or something. You know, it's really funny because it is true that they are less punitive, but they're right also. They mm. know what they're doing. Do you find um, with this system, your enrollments, how does it, you know, a, a mainstream school, I, I, last schools I've worked for have been state schools. So, you know, a child does a certain thing and they'll get expelled or, or in the state schools they probably, it has to be quite extreme to get expelled because there's nowhere else to go um, and or suspended. How does that work at Sudbury? You can be expelled. Mm. Um, it happens, you know, maybe once every few years. And maybe I don't know if it's ever going to happen again because something that has something happened during COVID, which is that our school got smaller, sadly, because we have been we have had a um, not a mandatory mask and mm. distancing policy, but a discretionary one. Yeah. And nobody's been sick either. But that's sort of beside the point. Mm. But um, people have a lot of people didn't come back when we started that policy, mm -hmm. which. I, you know, I can imagine parents being worried about their kids. Um, and the school got smaller and much more gentle somehow. And it's even, it was always gentle, but now it's really gentle. Wow. So we may never expel anybody again. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, maybe, maybe kids that are bad behaviors, bad behaviors don't get interested in this anymore. Their parents don't. I, I can't really figure it out because mm. we used to get some pretty scary people, mm. not like one every few years, not five of them in a year or anything. Yeah. Still, you, you know, it, it means that everybody is aware and wary and wondering what to do. And eventually that person either reforms or leaves mm. or has to leave. And the school meeting votes that. The yeah. committee would never vote that. That's a school well, meeting thing. When you're an alternative school, you, you do tend to attract 
those children sometimes because they look they're looking for a place where they they can do probably what they want <laughs> but there's freedom uh, or maybe not maybe maybe they just want to um <laughs> maybe they just want want to relax and relaxing brings out something they didn't even know they had i don't know mm, yeah <laughs> Do you, is it, are you really a forest school? What does that mean? Are you never indoors? Uh, so we're a forest school program. So because we can't be, because of our legislation here, I was speaking to Mimsy earlier about how we can't have democratic schools. We also can't technically have a forest school how I would like to run it or we would like to run it because we mm-hmm. would run it as self-directed learning as a democratic school or, or whatnot. Um, so we've chosen not to. We get hounded all the time. Can you start a school? Can you start a school? And um, we've said no because <laughs> we don't feel that we could run. It wouldn't align with our beliefs at the moment because we can't. We have to follow the curriculum. So essentially our program is we run nature play groups and forest kindies and homeschool programs and after-school programs where children free play in the forest. Mm-hmm. And we put out resources mm-hmm. if they'd like to use them. And if they don't want to use them, that's great. So, Do you have uh, a relatively mild climate? Yes. Yeah, we're very spoiled. It gets very wet. So we're subtropical. It gets quite wet in the in the summer. And in the winter, it's glorious here. <laughs> oh, this is winter for you. This is winter. And uh, my husband's getting around in shorts and T-shirts. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit different to you. <laughs> It's yeah, <laughs> probably almost warmer here now than your summer, perhaps. Oh, that's no, that's probably not correct. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine here. <laughs> so, why do you stay, Mimsy? What do you love about it? I don't know. I, I mean, I do know what I love about it. I love the way the kids are to me. Mm. I love. I love walking into a, a building with a lot of people in it who were fun to talk to, fun to be with, pursuing their interests, excited and happy. Mm. And they treat us all as if we're the same. So you sort of stay that way. I don't know. You know, I, people are always saying, don't you think you should retire? No. And I'm thinking, ah, before. Before. <laughs> I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen someday, but I can wait till it does. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's- I think that sometimes that comes from um, people's personal experience with their work where they don't enjoy work and it's a problem to get up and go to work every day. But when you love what you do, what are you doing in retirement? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My brain will decay enough so that I have to leave. <laughs> no, really. I mean, I, that's my I, my body is already uh, <laughs> a little bit ahead of my brain, but it's still it's still functional. <laughs> Can you talk to me about, I guess, the difference from when you see a child, their first few days coming from a mainstream school, no matter the reason I guess they've left because people leave mainstream schools for, you know, a myriad of reasons. Every child's going to be different. But are there some very expected either behaviours or uh, reactions on those first few days or weeks when they come to Sudbury Valley? It depends on the kids. Some kids don't really get it that they're free. Mm. And the other kids say, oh, I'm free. What am I going to do now? <laughs> I've never been free before. But <laughs> so uh, there, there are both of those items. And then there's a lot of sort of things in between that where people are not used to being free and they're not used to being free 
I don't want to say this in any way that is wrong, free with their bodies. It's not like mm-hmm. they can be totally free with their bodies. They can't smack each other or do anything <laughs> against the law, but um, free in the sense that they can uh, be where they want and do what they want and just sort of melts away. Eventually you stop wearing shoes mm. in the summer. Some people stop wearing shoes in the winter. A, fr- a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's a, uh, uh, he's close to 50 and he went to school here his whole life. And oh, he said, wow. and he, so did his sister and brother. And he said he and his brother were walking down the street one day in Chicago. And um, somebody said hi to one of them and they looked up, but before they looked up, I guess they were already looking down and they both instantly said, Oh, I'm not going to say the kid's name, but he, he did never wear shoes, <laughs> never wore shoes and never really wore shoes in the winter so that he would occasionally get a little, um, what do you call it? Frostbitten. Oh, but uh, <laughs> he was on the streets of Chicago without shoes, just like oh. everywhere else. And they said, oh, it's you. you, know, like, <laughs> you he could have changed and been a totally different looking person, which he isn't. But uh, they still would have known. Oh, hats And off. I would too. <laughs> I couldn't do that. <laughs> Uh, no, me neither. But, you know, I have a feeling it was healthy. I have a feeling it is healthy. Mm. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole society of people that believe in barefoot. Most of them are not in Massachusetts. (laughs) Oh, I wholeheartedly (laughs) believe in barefoot. I just don't think I could take it in the winter. (laughs) Not there. Oh, (laughs) I can't even take it, uh, all day in the summer, but I can take it a lot. (laughs) Plenty. (laughs) Uh, um, Going back to the children, and I hate to use it. Well, I don't hate to use the word de-schooling. Is, is it a de-schooling process for most people? And, and how do you find the parents? Are parents de-schooling as well? Or by the time they get to you, are they already you know, midway through that process? I, it's hard to say. Mm. We, uh, we have a process of finding out about the school. I mean, we have an enormous web page. Mm, it's enormous. It's full of Nobody can read it all. So a person can read it for as long as they want and as much as they want and find out as much as they want just uh, without ever seeing us. But when they get to the point where they think, okay, maybe this is the school for my kid, maybe it's not, but I have to go find out. They, uh, they make an appointment for an interview and they come here and they're talked with Mm. Uh, to ask any questions, every question they have. It's not for us to interview them. It's for them to interview us, really. And um, it's a it's a very pleasant process, I think. And then they have to decide whether they can do it, mm. not whether they can do it financially, whether they can do it uh, in space, because sometimes people live really far away. They want to very badly and they can't figure out how. Sometimes people move and whether they can do it psychologically. And sometimes they're wrong about that. I'm still mourning a couple of little kids that are not coming back next, this coming year that uh, were absolutely perfectly wonderful, but their parents just couldn't watch their kids play all the time. I don't know why they were happy as they could be, but Mm. you know, that breaks my heart. If you can't, you can't. Oh, <laughs> we're such big play advocates here. Um, of course you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the and I and I'm comfortable with it. I probably just need to stop caveating this stuff. Um, 
We have touched on how self-directed learners read, but I think because most of these, the people that we've interviewed have been either parents or well, mainly parents of unschooled children or um, we haven't spoken to many, actually you actually are the first Sudbury school, so probably the first true democratic school because here in Australia, again, like you can't truly be democratic with the curriculum. Can you touch on how children, I don't know, we get asked this all the time and it's a little infuriating, how children read, <laughs> learn to read? Um, sure. We don't have any idea. How refreshing <laughs> that. is that? Oh, I they love all it. do. They all don't, I mean, they don't start necessarily, start school learning how to read and they don't <laughs> learn how to read necessarily when they're six or seven either, but they do. Uh, either often they come to school already reading when they're very young. Mm-hmm. Just because some kids read, I mean, I have a kid who could read before, long, I think, before he could walk. Wow. Be- not because not because he was so brilliant, but because he couldn't walk for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> he was lazy or something. <laughs> well, he had another focus but, by the sound of it. <laughs> he had, yeah, he had another focus. But, you know, eventually he learned. I, uh, he was heavy, too. I feel like I felt spent a lot of time carrying oh, adorable child. My back. And he was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> While he peppered me with five syllable words, you know, but uh, you just don't know. Sometimes a kid learns to read because they can't play their video games properly mm. unless they learn how to read. And other kids learn to, to read the things the video games say and think they can't read. Mm. you know and uh, there's a little girl who's going to school here she's not I think she just turned five actually and um, in the spring and she is very learned about and interested in animals in general but dinosaurs in particular Mm -hmm. and she can read this book that's a an encyclopedia of dinosaurs (laughs) but she doesn't realize that it's because she can read she thinks it's because she knows what it says oh do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a very different process for each kid, and we don't know how it works. We just have occasionally a little insight into what happens in our own family or with a kid we see a lot of. Mm. But we don't know. They just one day they don't, and at some point they do. It ju- does and just feel like that. Refuse to worry, but parents don't have any trouble worrying. Oh gosh, yeah. It's the most probably the most common question we get asked. I would, I would say, well, is it yours or would it be, um, what's your most common question you guys get asked? Well, there is that one. There's certainly yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Will they go to college? They, that's, they start asking that when the child is four or five. Yeah. And we explain to them that there is nothing that will keep them from going to college if they want to. And nothing in the world keeps anybody from going to college if they want to, not even money. So it's, I mean, unless you're really, really desperately poor and have to work a hundred hours a week to help your family survive. That could keep you from going to college, but not if you just have to work. Yeah. Yeah. What about the, um, if I let my, my child do anything they want to, they would video game all day. How do do you handle those? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We're not good at those. Mm. Uh, every, Every people should have gotten over that from the last year and a half of Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> you would think when you <laughs> should have gotten over that, but they haven't. They haven't. I mean, the kids who play video games a lot here 
are there's two kinds. Mm-hmm. There's one, there's a room called the computer room that has, I don't know, five, maybe five computers in it. And there's usually five or six kids that want to use those and they use them together or separate or whatever. And they play games together mm-hmm. from, you know, one computer to another. And then there are all kinds of other levels of gaming in the school. Those are, that's mostly little kids, but levels of gaming and they've got their own computer and they've got their own this and their own that. And then they say, wait a minute, why am I doing this? I'd rather play Dungeons and Dragons, Mm. which is a far more social thing than using a computer parents thing. But it isn't true. They're in groups. They're constantly in groups playing with other people. Mm. You know, there'll be a little kid watching a teenager and another teenager playing with a teenager and a third teenager trying to uh, trying to see what's going on a kid in the middle around they're just in little pods and there's nothing to worry about they're just happy and they're very social very yeah. social very aware of uh, how to be a person mm. oh, i love that which isn't so that easy <laughs> if you summed up humanity <laughs> i certainly have <laughs> Uh, so good. Uh, could you talk to us about the way um, schools and or homeschooling can potentially harm children? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, there's a loaded question Ooh. for you, Mimsy. <laughs> well, uh, I've even written about it. I've even got a blog on our webpage about it. Uh, and I will and link Danny your has a couple too. Website. And too. They're, they're, they're pretty strong. Mm. We feel that... Um, a child who is, I'm sorry to say this to you because I know that your children are homeschooled. Oh, no, I that's, I'm open. I doubt if they're overseen very closely. <laughs> and I don't mean to, that's not a, I an take insult. That as a compliment. That's a compliment. Yeah, I take that as a compliment yeah. and you're 100% um, correct. <laughs> but when, when you are, even when you're in a group of kids and there's always an adult who is the person in authority, the person mm. you go to if there's a problem, um, it's less than satisfactory. And we find that a lot of kids who've been in that situation haven't been with that many other kids that much mm. of the time. It'll be maybe one morning a week or something. And they learn to depend on their parents for talking for them even. Yeah. They'll come here and they'll be practically uh, mute. And they'll look at mommy or daddy to get the, a question that I might ask them mm. answered. It's so scary. Yeah, And it, it, when a child like that, a teenager comes here and is like that and gets over it, which we had one that that's, that happened to a kid who was here for his second year last year. And he got over it mostly last year, but partly the first year. But when he gets over it, it is such a triumph. You feel so happy for him. Mm. Oh, and their voice. you can talk just like everybody else. <laughs> you have friends now. He, this is a boy who spent many months sitting on a little hill on the campus, oh. whatever the weather was. I mean, he, once it was absolutely freezing, he came inside, but he, he spent a lot of time sitting outside and then he came inside and spent a lot of time um, doing something else. But they were both, the other thing too was something you could do silently and alone. And then he said, I think I'm going to drop out of school. There's nothing here for me. It's not good for me. Oh. And... I said, wait a minute, are you going to want to be like this your whole life? Mm. Dependent on your mommy? Mm. 
And he said he decided not to drop out of school and he was perfect. He became perfect. And it wasn't overnight, but it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. So I, I the fact that a p- kid has to turn to his parents to find out what an answer is to a simple question like, how old are you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> not a two year old, wow. not a two year old, a big kid. Mm-hmm. Or um, have you ever gone to school at all or something like that? Just so you know, sort of innocent kind of questions yeah is very upsetting and I think that's where the whole question for, about social because the, the second question we get is what about socialization um obviously it, it comes the stereo there's a stereotype for a reason isn't there you know realistically and that's because children are often pulled yes. out of these systems because parents are trying to protect them and shelter them and in fact that's as harmful as cotton wooling and cotton wool smothers <laughs> smothers spirit and it smothers personality so we still got to cut those apron strings at some time and, and you know the earlier the better there's a there's a circle of security and then there's wrapping them up and and choking them in, <laughs> in those apron <laughs> strings that's a good way of describing it yeah <laughs> that's right and i don't think the parents are are ill-meaning no. I think they're well-meaning no. in general. No, it's like the helicopter They want their child to have a, ch- children to have a gentle, kind, loving life. Yeah. But I do think they are worried some at some point, most of them, that their children need more help than other people. Mm. Because the children come to need more help than other people eventually. Yeah. Is <laughs> it falling on their own swords, aren't they? Yeah. Mimsy, oh, this has been amazing. I've got some, have you got time for some rapid fire questions? They're, they're more personal. The rapid fire questions? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and look, rapid is very loose around these parts. <laughs> Feel free to take your time with them. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, let's chat about what is your favourite book of all time and why, or if that's too hard because I know sometimes we don't like to pick favourites, what are you currently reading? Well, I am... Um, for some reason into the history, it's, it's very complicated, mm-hmm. but I've been into it since about March, the history of the area of the United States that includes Oregon and Washington and maybe a little bit of Vancouver. And that's a lot, a lot of things are going on presently that point me that way, but I just read the most amazing book. And, um, I don't think anybody in Australia would ever want to read it, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. No, it's it's a very interesting book, and it's called Astoria. It's a history of a town that's on the uh, coast of the the Columbia River in Oregon, which is a very big the big river that goes out to the mm. sea. And when the Columbia River hits the sea, it turns out um, there's an enormous sandbar. Of course, sandbars like that don't stay the same mm-hmm. all the time. And I think 2,000 ships have been wrecked on that sandbar over the last (laughs) couple of hundred years. And I got interested in it through other things. And I'm interested in logging now, a very strange thing to be interested in, and logging from 100 years ago or from 200 years ago and migration to the United States from 200 years ago to that part of the country. Now, I do have two children that live in Oregon. I was going to but, ask what, uh, where that stemmed from. It's a stunning part of the world. It was my favorite part of the States oh, when my I goodness. did some time there. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know that I've seen all the States, but certainly not all the world, but it is a stunning part of the world and it's a very exciting part of the world. And, and you know, when you're, when you're just 
just a little girl from a city, which is me, mm. <laughs> always has lived a pretty, um, how do I say it? Pretty conventional life. Yes, sending your children to a school like this is not that conventional, but other than that, <laughs> a pretty conventional life in rather conventional places. And suddenly you start to wonder about how these how these parts of the country came to be. Mm. And now I'm sort of stretched back to the time when uh, Captain Cook got wrecked in, uh, got <laughs> murdered in Hawaii. I didn't know if that would even ha- you would ha- have to would know anything about that because uh, I didn't really. And yeah. his guide from the from Tahiti who uh was a remarkable remarkable man. Now I'm reading a bi- biography of him and I think what are you doing? Oh, wow. But those are the kinds of things and the the kids that have been I guess I guess I'm moving from the Holocaust. Mm. But the book Astoria by Peter Stark is a really magnificent book. If anybody ever wants a recommendation and it's not a novel, but it reads like one. I'm also, I don't know. I like to read about difficult situations. Ooh, you got any examples there? Well, every Holocaust book. Yeah, I'm a fan myself too. And a novel that pushed me into this Oregon stuff Mm. was called Deep River. And it's not even a great novel, but it's good enough. And I like Hilary Mantle's work. She write, wrote about Oliver, not Oliver Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell, sorry. Mm. And his times in England, that was the last part of, I guess I must like history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just uh, realized that. Can I tell you how much <laughs> I enjoy hearing that after 50 years, I'm still like so excited about learning all these new things and I've just realized I love history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <it's> so refreshing. <laughs> uh, now, where do you go or what do you do to reset after a, a tough day? Uh, I go home mm. and it's not easy to reset after a tough day. I had a tough day yesterday and I had a bad night to go with it. Oh. But usually I can, uh, usually you have to understand I'm 80 years old and I have Mm. some chronic physical, physical things that keep me from getting a lot of exercise Mm -hmm. or they don't keep me from it, but I don't do it maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, I like to go home and read and watch exciting historical series. (laughs) (laughs) No, we, we, we've just been watching something called Outback Truckers. Now you certainly know where the Outback is. Yeah, but I haven't seen this at all. <laughs> oh, oh, this is a documentary series. It's quite interesting. Ah, I'll have to put it on the list. And I can't I thought, you know, I'll watch one, but then I wanted to watch more and more and more. Oh, I'll have to <laughs> see if the boys would like to watch that. They um they Oh love yes, it. they would. Yeah. I don't know how old they are, but they would. Six and nine, so it's right up there early, oh, I'm guessing. <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. Uh, all right. Next question, very loaded and probably very obvious for you, but sometimes it's not a very obvious question for our guests. But if you had to choose just one thing, which is the hardest part of this, to change about the education system, what would it be? (sighs) (laughs) One's hard, isn't it? (laughs) One thing to change. Um, I don't know what it would be. I guess um, I feel so, I, I learned over the last year and a half during COVID that I really, really think kids were um, 
not uneducated by not being in school, but ill-treated by not being in school. Mm. So I, I wouldn't change the fact that there are actual schools, mm-hmm. but it would be nice if, if they could be somehow based on what the kid wants to do, you know, yeah. just somehow, or, and, and all those things that are so left over from a hundred years ago or 60 years ago or 90 would just be go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we have industrial age schools and we're not in an industrial age anymore. We're past it. Oh, so far past so, it. The technology that we have, I think that's the thing that can continually blows my mind is that is that it's just the information is there for anyone to grasp. It's why do we need people to instruct it? Anyway, don't get mm-hmm. me started. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not being not being called upon to teach after a lot of years of being called upon to teach in this school. Mm. has been very interesting for all of us. Wow. Can you expand on that? Well, kids were always saying, I need to learn algebra. Will you teach me algebra? And of course, there's no reason not to teach them algebra. Mm. Uh, you teach them how to make biscuits if they want to learn how to make biscuits. <laughs> why can't you teach them algebra? Um, and we would be, we would do it, but you always felt that you weren't teaching them that that they were learning it and they were learning it with you, which is nice, mm. you know, w- in your company. Mm-hmm. But uh, then suddenly there were so many programs available on the computer to learn anything mm-hmm. that people sort of stopped asking to be mm-hmm. taught things. No more, uh, e- even English literature, which I think is a very exciting thing, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. to talk about in a group, more exciting than algebra, but not, <laughs> but much harder. I'm with you but, on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, even English literature is which is gone as a uh, request. You know, I found a group on the internet, I guess, that, that, I I mean, I can imagine a kid saying that, that is reading the same kind of stuff. I had the same adventure books I'm reading, the same uh, books about trying to think what, what other kids read. There are all sorts of things. I one of my grandchildren is about to go to college to be a city planner. So you can guess what kind of books he thinks are a lot more interesting <laughs> than novels. Can you expand on then your role and how that's changed then in the last decade or so? We're working hard at getting better at public relations, mm-hmm. strangely, because we were depending on, I don't know what we were depending on to get students, <laughs> because I we've never really known how we got students. I want to say we were depending <laughs> on the internet, but and I think we still are depending on the internet. But I I don't n- know quite how, mm. and um, so we th- try to think harder about how to uh, make our website better, attract more people, stuff like that. And um, I guess that I've always been part of that. And it takes up more of my time now and writing takes up a little more of my time and editing and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's not that different. I'm just sort of hanging around here, ready to have fun. <laughs> what a job. <laughs> well, I don't play, I don't play jacks anymore. Do you know what jacks is? Yes. I haven't played that in years. Yes. We've got some. Here, I used actually. to be a jacks champion. Oh. <laughs> Which is it. nothing, you know, I mean, in my, in this school or in my childhood or something, <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. Oh, I have to bring our set out. <laughs> that's that's a change. <laughs> oh, 
It has to do with how my body bends. Yeah, look, <laughs> knuckles. Knuckles, don't, they're not as bendy as they No, as the they knuckles. No, it's not the knuckles. It's the hips. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and last question to finish off, Mimsy, where can we find out more about Sudbury Valley School? Okay, sudburyvalley.org. Simple. is the name of our internet site and it is chock full and there's a bookstore there where you can find out more till you uh, die of overload <laughs> and you can buy books and get school planning kits to help you set up schools but think hard before you do that because it's a really big thing mm, <laughs> I know I don't think people really really truly realize it's it's an undertaking and it's un- unpaid labor for many years and many years of fundraising, oh. isn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> is that what it is? Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> Actually, we none of the staff in this school were paid for the first 17 years. Oh, wow. I think it's 17. It wow. might be more, but it's not less. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the difference you will have all made to so many lives. And to, to have volunteered that time, is that's incredible. What a gift to the world. I guess we did it for ourselves too, though. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. nobody does these things quite totally as a gift to the world. This is true. This is true. <laughs> that's, you, have yeah. to be, you have to be enjoying it and getting some benefits from it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how lovely that it can be that way, though, isn't it, rather than going mm. for financial oh. gain and having teachers oh. there that <laughs> should no longer be there. <laughs> I, I am so blessed, I would say, except I don't want to <laughs> draw God into it. It's not to me, it's not that way. But I have such a good life because I've spent my life doing work that I think is useful and productive. Mm. And so many people don't have that possibility. I bet you feel the same way. Yeah, I do. Uh, I even really though you're do. quite young. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see if I'm still running forest school in 50 years. I'm sure it will have amalgamated into something more like I'm sure it will. Yeah. <laughs> I've just got a bit more policy change and <laughs> what not to wade through yet. <laughs> got to start somewhere, right? Politics is hard stuff. Uh, it it really is. It really is. And that that's why we've we're working outside the box because it's it's our children are young, it's time consuming and and by the time it gets done it won't benefit our children, so that might be a project for another time. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much again Mimsy for joining us today and thank you for your thank you for your contribution to your community I'm sure there'll be oh what a sweet thing to say thank you I'm just sure there's thousands of children that would would love to I'm sure they have told you anyway but you know it's (laughs) it is such a gift don't be too sure yeah (laughs) but enough have enough have Oh, it's been a real pleasure and thank you again for your persistence and and to making this happen. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was a positively delightful chat. I hope that when I'm 80 years old, I'm still advocating for children's rights and enjoying learning things just like Mindsay is. What a contribution she has made to her community. It frustrates me, though, that children in Australia don't have the same choice to be able to attend a democratic or self-directed learning type school such as Hadri Valley here because our system only allows schools that only follow the curriculum. And yes, we can 
dance in and out of that. We can get children to choose what parts of the curriculum that they'd like to learn, but they still need to do it in, within prescribed years. They're still expected to do NAPLAN tests and they still have to tick those boxes. So at some point in their school career, they have to tick every box, but they may not have the time if they're doing that to go and explore the things that actually interest them. So, you know, I understand that the curriculum is, the government is trying to give majority of students a wide range of knowledge that they believe is necessary for children to succeed in life. I get that, but that is also the problem. The government is choosing what they think the majority of students are learning, believing they know the key to their individual success. But the real question is, what is success? Is it working a nine to five job for financial gain? For some people, yes, absolutely. But for many, no, it's not. And in fact, I would probably argue that that leads to, to mental health issues in Western societies quite often. So where is the variety in our schools? Where is the choice? Why can't children learn what they think they need to succeed in their lives? We know that when in a safe and supported space, children will learn to read and they learn maths when they need it. So why all the pressure? Why all the pressure to you know, do these things within these tiny, tiny time windows? Why all the sitting down? Why all the authority and hierarchy? When there are so many examples of schools such as these all over the world, you know, we have models and we have research. We have case studies of, of successful adults that have spent their whole lives, their whole schooling life in these schools. And students who attend these types of schools are in general happy with their education and they're successful in their own right. So why the need for the one size fits all model that leaves so many children feeling unhappy or and or like failures? You know, I don't have the answers yet, but I do think we as parents have so much on our plates that perhaps we don't have time to think about these things, yet alone protest them or make time to make change. So I hope at least that this podcast shows people the possibilities of what's out there and perhaps together we can begin to start making some change and some policy change. That's our hope with this with this podcast. At the time of recording this podcast, um, Queensland and New South Wales were still in lockdown and Victoria and SA were just out of it. So many of you across the country will have been dipping your toes back into home learning. Now, we've spoken about this before many times on the podcast, but we do want to clarify that homeschooling can be so different and so much less stressful than home learning. You know, I can't even I can't even emphasize that enough. So if you'd like to learn more about how to start homeschooling, not home learning, then you can head to our most recent blog at wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash blog for all of our recommended books and podcasts, Facebook pages, webinars and groups to check out for those beginning stages of homeschooling. And don't forget, you can always also book a consult with us to chat about all things homeschooling and unschooling too. Until then, hope you're all doing as well as you can in this climate. Um, big hugs to you all. Stay wild. Stay wild.